0: This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joir. And today is Thursday, November 19th, 2020. And my guest is the awesome Ryan Hager of Android Police. Hi, Ryan, how are you? Hi, Miriam. I'm doing good. It's uh, it's great to see you. Today's Thursday? It is. Can you believe it? Huh. If I sound a little different folks and maybe a little more uh, like I'm in a small room, it's because I'm actually traveling. I decided to take a break and spend some time in Palm Springs by the pool. So um, that's been lovely. Today is a bit of a workday after chilling out for a few days. Ryan, you and I have a lot to talk about that things we're passionate about. Um, I want to talk about the new M1 equipped Max, the Apple Silicon Max that finally got reviewed. So we'd have some benchmarks and things. I want to talk about the OnePlus Nord N10 5G that. We ranted and raved about with my guest last week, but we didn't really rave much. And <laughs> I know you have things to say. So let's oh, talk yeah, I about do. that too, right? And then uh, I want to talk about a bunch of other new stuff. So let's get started on the Apple stuff pretty quickly. I don't want to spend too much time other than my take is we're getting exactly what we've been sold even though a lot of people didn't want to believe it, I've been a believer because I'm a long time Mac user and I've seen two transitions before. And unlike the previous transitions, the thing people have to understand is that Apple wasn't forced to change this time around in the sense that they weren't in a corner, like in terms of power consumption and performance. They could have ridden the Intel train for a little while longer, but they were finally at a point where their own in-house technology could really blow it away. And that's what they showed, right? Absolutely. You said you were going to go buy one, right? You're, you're ready to go.
1: Yeah. So uh, I've been debating uh, picking one up. I knew I was going to get one just to play with it at some point. Um, and I actually had pre-ordered the uh, eight gigabyte, uh, 256 gigabyte base model. And I decided uh, after. You know, a day of thinking about it. That, you know, I I kind of have the you know the blogger centric workflow, and so sometimes I get a couple hundred tabs going with Lightroom open and a bunch of apps, and I can easily max like eight or sixteen gigs of RAM, like very easily. Yeah. So I was I I thought you know eight gigs of RAM probably won't be enough. Let me wait for sixteen gigs. Oh, the ship date for those are like half a month away. I'll just wait for reviews. So uh, like you, like a lot of people, you know, I just I sat waiting to see how things would ultimately deliver. And everything I'm seeing is so positive that I might even be able to get away with just having the eight gigs. So I'm, I'm, as we speak, as we talk right now, I'm debating going to the app Apple store, uh, in just, you know, an hour, hour and a half here and picking one up. Cause I have to go to run some errands in that area anyway. And, uh, I'd like to see what it's like and if it can handle my, you know, ridiculous workflow.
0: So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, for me, the, I, I kind of went into it thinking this is gonna be a Pretty much deliver what Apple would whether advertising. I know that Apple wasn't super clear on the numbers and I know that people were put off by that. Yeah. But you know, app that's how Apple is. They don't really want to make it too complicated for, for their, you know, users. And um so yeah, you know, those numbers don't mean much, but now we have numbers and wow, right? Yeah. I mean
1: I, I I was also a little bit turned off just because I know that their whole shtick is marketing before the technical details and all we got were a couple of graphs with like unlabeled accesses, but they, they really did deliver, and I'm I'm genuinely impressed.
0: Everyone seems to be genuinely impressed. Yeah, and I think you know, this emulation stuff. It's actually not emulation technically. It's translation, which yeah. is a little different because it basically like when you start the app, it basically builds a an ARM version of it. Yeah. Based on the CD6 executable, and then it runs that. So it's not like on the fly translating as. Uh, you know, for example, Windows does on ARM, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there are some advantages, but I also think that the tight integration of software and hardware really helps here, right? And um, like, who was I writing, reading about? I think it was Gruber. I, I don't always agree with Gruber and I don't always read what he writes, but sometimes he's, he's dead on. And so you think it was him or some article he pointed to that was saying that It's not garbage collection in macOS, right? It's instantiation, like it's it's basically reference count on NS objects, which are basically the the atomic building block of memory allocation in macOS, Mm. and also on iPhone, and also on Apple Watch, and also on all the based. And I think their chips are really optimized for that stuff which is why we're seeing such great performance on these chips and also such great memory management on these chips, right? A lot of apps take, seem to be taking less memory running, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's what I've seen as well. And furthermore, with the super fast SSD and whatever interface is uh, uh, involved with that, I guess it swaps so much faster that it's not even that big of a deal
0: if you do run out of memory. Yeah. So I think, look, I, I'm cautious because I'm I haven't even switched to Catalina because I have a whole bunch of old, you know, legacy 32-bit apps I'm running. So I'm a little reticent to take the plunge into a Apple Silicon Mac right now. But I have to say that if I can maybe run these old apps in a virtual machine and spin them separately just for until I can find a new workflow to get over that hump. Uh, which I was going to have to do with Intel anyway, because eventually I'm going to have to run Catalina, right? Yeah. So I uh, might as well switch, or Big Sur on Intel too. So I might as well switch to that. So I'm looking at maybe getting a MacBook Air. The base config is all I need, really. What does it come with for base storage, by the way? I think the
1: base model, uh, and I'm speaking purely by memory, I think the base model with the 7-core GPU is 8 gigabytes
0: of memory and 256 gigabytes of storage. Okay. That's good. I can do two fifty. I mean, like, less than 256, I really can. I'm sorry, I just struggle a little bit, you know, because I do video editing on my Mac. Yeah. Oh, I'm also thinking about going for uh, the 512 gig model or
1: better, but uh, the ship date's so far out on those.
0: Yeah. I, I just, you know, I use external storage for, like, most of my video needs, but to actually do the editing, I do it locally on the disk, and I need a bit of, you know, headroom there, right? Yeah. 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 So... I, I don't know. I think this is good news. I I think if as a first effort, right, if it's that good already, like I can only imagine where it's going to go from here. Right. Yeah. I, the, the next gen is going to be amazing. I know there are a
1: few limitations. Some people are upset that there the current max memory limit is 16 gigs. And there are a couple of other like little things. There's only two, uh, what Thunderbolt ports. So there, there are some, Limitations with the current design that maybe will be better next time around. But I I can't believe the gains they're seeing. It kind of blows my mind that where we have ARM chipsets and consumer devices that are this powerful, so powerful that in x86 workflows they're beating Intel chips. Like
0: wow. Yeah, and I, I mean I that that surprised me. I was expecting parity or maybe a slight loss in performance exactly on, uh, on the translation layer, but. They have clearly waited. I think this is the thing, right? Like, as I was saying before, they're not, they weren't in a rush to switch this time, right? They didn't have to. And unlike the PowerPC, where they couldn't make a G5 MacBook, right? Like, they just couldn't, it just ran too hot. And so they were like, we need to switch to Intel now because mobile is the future. And back in the days of 68K, you know, it was the same thing, right? Like, they were, I think there were issues with um Motorola making the 68k chips and their yield and stuff, right? Yeah. IBM came along and said, "Hey, we can give you the, the all the chips you want, you know, in the quantities you want." So that's that was part of the reason. So I don't think they have these 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 restrictions here. So they were like, "Let's see how far we can get with this ARM stuff and bring it to a point where we feel like we can just, you know, really blow things out of the water. And I think the other thing nobody seems to be talking about or few people are talking about comparatively to the actual benchmark numbers and memory use and, you know, GPU, CPU performance is the battery life. Yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah. A lot of people are getting really good results. Now, Chrome seems to still be a hog, but I think that was emulated Chrome. Didn't Chrome just come out with an M1 optimized version?
1: Yeah. So there was an ARM build uh, released, I guess accidentally i don't know the full context yesterday and it had some bugs and they pulled it and there's a new version that was released today and i've been speaking to a couple people on twitter that have been using it and they say that uh, you know night and day the new irm version way lighter on
0: memory than the x86 version and that it's performing pretty well cool yeah so i'm not sure if i'm going to run out and buy one like you were doing and if you do kudos to you that's something exciting i'm cautiously looking at what i might be doing is Build a, a virtual machine to see if I can run my 32-bit apps on an older version of the OS on an Intel box, and see how that does. And then if I can bring that on to the M1, even if I have to reinstall the the actual virtual machine—not not the image, but the actual like—you know—switch to a virtual box built for ARM. Hopefully they have one. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see, right? I might actually want to run a virtual box that's built for 64-bit Intel because it, then it, the whole virtual box gets em, that's, gets translated or emulated rather than it happening inside the virtual machine, right? Which I think would be slower. It, it'd be worth testing both to see what the difference is like. Yeah, that's true. So that's kind of where I'm going. Because look, the, the reality is those 32-bit apps that I'm running are going to fall off the cliff eventually, but I'm not quite ready to let them go because I got these workflows. But I know that eventually I need to move forward. I can't just stick to, you know, whatever version I'm looking right now that I'm running on both my... Mojave is what I'm running. I can't stick with Mojave, which is the last version that runs 32-bit apps, you know, like it's just not going to happen, right? Yeah. So uh, at some point, so yeah, you know, that's kind of my excitement around that. Yeah. So um, let's... Rant a little bit. You wrote a really great article. I actually linked to it last week in the podcast topics uh, because we we mentioned your story in the podcast. And so now that I have you, it's the OnePlus has jumped the shark story. Like this, I think is spot on. Yeah,
1: I I I I don't speak because I I kind of didn't want to have to write this. I've been thinking about it for a couple weeks, and I was hoping to avoid having to do. a post like this, because I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. Right. So, yeah, OnePlus, I'm just not a fan of some of the changes that they've been implementing over the last, really firmly in the last year, with this, uh, this new move simultaneously up and down market. So you remember last year when they de- debuted the 7 Pro, which was, I mean, it was a great phone, but it was it was kind of an odd move because they'd always been doing this anti-flagship, anti-flagship, anti-flagship. And then here's, you know, here's a genuine flagship. We're going to raise the price. We're going to give it everything. This isn't compromising on uh, display resolution. I thought the camera was excellent. I have some really great... Uh, photos in our review of the phone. And I really loved it. And it was, it was really this, this flagship moment for OnePlus where they started to embrace the idea of moving to the genuine flagship from the, you know, flagship killer, the anti-flagship, even though the, the marketing for that had long since been gone. And at the same time, they embraced this, you know, slightly higher price and then it got worse. And they, that, that higher has started to trickle down into their, you know, standard phones, the OnePlus uh, 8 had a, a big price bump over the OnePlus 7T. Uh, OnePlus 8T, another big price bump. Uh, if you can look at the the previous trends versus the current trends, you know, they've been they've been creeping upward at an increasing rate. And uh, I was a little bit disappointed with that. Uh, secondarily, this move down market with the new Nord phones. Obviously, you know, the original Nord uh, is a great, great, great device. I'm sure you guys have talked about it on previous episodes of the podcast.
0: Love it. Love it. 100% behind you. Like, I actually think that you know this goes with what you were just talking i just want to insert this here without killing your momentum completely but you just mentioned how the one plus eight was overpriced for what it brought to the table i kind of feel like the one plus nord is really the OnePlus 8 in spirit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, well, it was definitely returned to
1: the whole budget flagship spirit for the company, and uh, as, as you and I have talked about before, you know, it's possible they might be losing money on this phone, and if that's the case, it's too bad, because the Nord was so good, it, it's basically ruined the rest of the Nord series in my mind. The N10 5G for costing 50 euros less is a profound disappointment in comparison to the Nord. It
0: is a vastly inferior device, the yeah. N10 5G compared to the Nord, but the Nord also is a vastly amazing device for this for this price point, right? Yeah. Like, I think they don't make a lot of money on that phone.
1: It's one of the few great phones of this year. If we were to put together a list, it'd have to be in the top five for most impactful. The original Nord is just great, great,
0: great device. The, the original Nord is OnePlus. Is the OnePlus we know and love and expect exactly? And part of that uh, is is. Or I should say,
1: there's an interesting parallel you can draw with that sort of argument, where the OnePlus we knew and expect, you know, that was uh, Carl Pei's ba- uh, baby, right? That was that was right. his little project before he left the company, and how much of the OnePlus we knew was Carl Pei because he's gone now, and the last thing he touched was good, and everything else is kind of not good,
0: right? Well, I disagree. I mean, I don't. I'm not quite as gloomy as you are. Like, I think this is a misstep, which is part of a growing pain that OnePlus is going through as they're transitioning from the disrupting kind of startup vibe, kind of you know something that they they were able to play on for a little while longer, but was already dying in the days of the OnePlus Six. You know, in my opinion, like I think the first the first downward spiral sign for me was the OnePlus Six T. And it's a good phone, but no headphone jack, right? Yeah. Well, that was just following the market's trend. I don't no, know. If- no, but, but the point is that this is like, you don't do that. Like you, if you really truly listen to your fans, you know, look, the Nord N10 5G has a headphone jack.
1: Yeah. Has true. a micro
0: SD, right? Like, like there are, there are some things that you could still be doing. Yeah. I understand that you want to sell your own buds and stuff, but I felt that that was kind of the beginning. But they also did make the OnePlus 7T the next year, which to me is one of the best OnePlus phones of all time. If it weren't for the screen, I would agree. The screen on that phone is genuinely bad. Really, you
1: don't like it? At super, super uneven. Like the the people that complain about the so-called you know streaking and the uh, green tint problems, the 70 screen was really, really bad for that. It was very uneven panel. I was not into it.
0: I just felt that for the money, it, it packed a real punch, oh, I which we haven't that. seen yeah. since the Nord, basically. And I mean, to me, that you know, that's what I'm... I kind of think of the OnePlus 7T as the proto-Nord in a way, you know? I guess kind of. It kind of was. And and I think the other thing is your 7 Pro, right? And this, I suppose the 7T Pro were pretty damn great phones.
1: Yeah, the 7 Pro is maybe peak OnePlus in my mind. That was the last, like, truly great phone other than like the Nord that they made where I was like, this has almost no drawbacks. This is an amazing device.
0: So the reason I said, you know, I think I don't want to get too negative is because not because you know me, I can get super negative, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm just saying for me having a, a, as a daily user of a OnePlus 8 Pro, I am perfectly happy with that phone. It's a good phone. I feel like the OnePlus 8 Pro is the no bars hold flagship. We all wanted and expected OnePlus to make. And I can't be mad at them for delivering that. And honestly, $899 for that phone, I know right now it's on sale for $799. So kudos, you should get one if you want one, because it's a great price. Even at $899, I think that phone delivers. Like it's a good phone for the money. It's still a better, phone for the money than many others.
1: Yeah, and this isn't a black and white uh, situation. It's not like, oh, OnePlus is bad now, it's 2020. No, like they're, OnePlus is still making good devices. They're just, they're they're slipping in terms of the image that they used to have and their goals are changing and it's not quite clear what they
0: are anymore. And that's the problem. Yeah. There's a lack of direction. Yeah. And I think I want to insert something in here that really exemplifies that. It's kind of a news story that came out this week. I we'll put it in the show notes is that, we all thought the N100, which I, none, of, none of us have played with yet, which I don't think any of us want to play with, but we thought that was going to be a 60 hertz display, which again is a, would have been a broken promise, but it turns out it's a 90 hertz display. And, and that's great news, but how is it possible that, and this is the slipping part, that OnePlus did not inform us of that with big rah-rah-rah wavy flags when they announced those two phones?
1: Yeah, the whole Nord series, I don't know if it's just a different marketing department or a different PR, it's not they're not handling this the same way. It's it's it seems kind of sloppy. Like like you're saying we didn't know some of the specs for these devices even though they're ostensibly announced. They still haven't even announced US pricing for the N10 5G. We're still waiting on that. So, yeah, they're not they're not presenting us with all of the information or handling what they've got.
0: I actually have a feeling we might not see the Nord N10 5G in the US at this point uh you know i'm getting that Their vibe reviews too. were so negative yeah and and i think they might if they're smart they're going to recalibrate and i think that or maybe it's already locked in and i think the only carrier i could see this coming on frankly is one is uh, t-mobile right yep well t-mobile was rumored to be the partner to begin with so that's that's they're they're going to be the only one that's interested for sure look there is still some things they can do to this phone to salvage it to some extent in my yeah. opinion i like without major redesign and that's put a glass back on it. Okay. That fingerprint-happy, slimy, terrible material they have on there right now is a nightmare. I don't know what else they can do, honestly. Swap the, swap the camera module for an IMX586, please. I don't like the photos I took with that phone. Only the daylight photos were good. I agree. And even at that, they were like that Omnivision sensor, which is a brand new 0.7 micron 64 megapixel sensor, actually impressed me at zooming. It's better at zooming than the OnePlus 8 and nord frankly up to up to a certain point right like if you compare side by side a 3x or 4x zoom of the nord and the n10 5g the n10 5g takes better daytime zoom shots but that's the only place where i found any kind of improvement and not that i expect an improvement it's a lesser phone but at least the sony imx 586 even without ois which at that price point i understand even though i'm not happy about it would have been a better choice for low light, that thing in low light, I mean, you reviewed it. You know what yeah. I'm talking about. It's a nightmare. It's it's so bad. It's like moto bad.
1: Yeah, it's very, <laughs>
0: very muddy. And
1: the processing in general seems different from OnePlus phones. But as far as I'm concerned, there, there are only two things they need to realistically change. And there are two things they can change without touching the hardware at all. And if they change these two things, uh, they have a decent chance of succeeding in the US market at some level. And that is that the price has to come in better than the uh, current price comparison between the Nord and the N10 5G in Europe. Because a 50 euro difference, if, they do a, if it comes in at, uh, in my opinion, if it comes in a dollar over $300, uh, it's bad phone. Secondarily, yeah. they got to change the update policy this one update oh my god and, uh, two years of updates is ridiculous it is i i don't want to i don't want to curse on your show because i'm sure this is a family-friendly show that is yes. unbelievable that is bad uh, the fact that they're only promising an update to android 11 which is the version the 8t shipped with is mind-blowing they're only going to update it to their current version of android
0: that's insulting. It's, yeah. yeah,
1: it's, it's unbelievable. The, the fact that they would try to push this on customers at any level is revolting. It's a vile. It's,
0: it's anti-One Plus. It's completely not what they do. Yeah. Like, like I can understand if you said, we're going to give you Android 11. Like, it's, you know, I can excuse them for shipping it with 10. That's fine. As long as I said, it's coming late December or something, or the US version will ship with it, or whatever. I would have been okay with that. And then, say, you're getting two updates.
1: Yeah, give right? it the same standard, three years, two major updates that they give every other phone yeah. and come in at the right price. And yeah, we can, we can hand wave the rest of the way. Oh, glossy plastic at the right price. Whatever. Put a case on it. It's
0: fine. Yeah, that's true. But I still feel like, you know, that's one of the areas where like they could, that I think from a manufacturing perspective, it'd be very easy for them to change the cover. Yeah, like, that's true. Again, you haven't had time because I know you've been working all day, but when we're done the show, Ryan, take a look at my channel and that YouTube video of that Realme 7 5G that I just unboxed the back of that phone, it's all plastic. Of course it is. It looks like a million bucks and it feels better than the OnePlus. It doesn't have that weird fingerprint, happy, slimy yeah. full glass feel to it. Something about the N10
1: 5G, like you can have the Nord in one hand and the N10 5G in the other, and one feels cheaper and it's the N10 5G. And I, don't, I can't properly quantify. It's something about it feels cheap.
0: Yes. and And I think for me, two things that stand out that not just make it feel cheap, but also make it feel retrograde, like something went back in time in a bad way, is, and again, I understand the ergonomic advantage of this, but I still, I'm also pissed off at Google for this, is the rear-mounted fingerprint sensor. Usually, normally, two years ago, you had said, here's a phone with a rear fingerprint sensor. I would have said, great, hooray. But today, I feel that it does look old-fashioned. And when you're trying to portray yourself as... This kind of leading edge, bleeding edge company, which maybe they're not anymore. Maybe that's the thing. But but I think I'd like to think they could still do that and make a $400 phone that was worth its salt. And, and, and as such, like, again, this Realme 7 5G has a, you know, same BBK company here, right, has a fingerprint sensor. On the power lock key, it works really well. It's a pretty big surface. It doesn't look weird. It looks modern. It means the back is really modern looking, especially with this weird matte two-tone finish they have going. Yeah, it's something you would have expected OnePlus to make a year or two ago, and now it's real me doing it. And and I don't understand like how the Nord N10 5G kind of slipped so badly on that. And then the chin, like that chin is so huge. Like, I understand IPS needs a little more space down there like you know but look I reviewed the Poco the X3 NFC for for Android police and I'm currently playing with the Mi 10T Lite from Xiaomi which is essentially a Poco X3 NFC with 5G it's got a Snapdragon 750 in it mm-hmm. um and both of them have chins because of IPS but they're not the kind of like incredibly massive chain. again this Realme 7 5G from Their same essential parts bin has less of a chin, and it's a 120 hertz IPS, not a 90 hertz IPS. So I I don't understand what went wrong here on OnePlus, you know?
1: Yeah, a lot lot of little things did. The the fingerprint sensor doesn't really bother me, and I actually don't like the power button fingerprint sensors because I have these gigantic calluses on my thumbs. And Ah. so the the ones on the power buttons, they never work for me. So I I like having it on the back still, especially now that we're all wearing masks. But yeah. (laughs) The phone just does didn't come together. It doesn't feel like a OnePlus phone. The yeah. chin,
0: though, right? I'm right on the chin. Does that seem big for you? Like, it seems yeah. unusually big.
1: Yeah, it is big. And and again, especially at the price, I feel like at
0: 400 euros, 350 euros, it's it's too big. It's too big. And then the performance. That's the other thing. I feel like that phone, it, it handled everything I threw at it with no hiccups. I had no hiccups. However, I'm expecting... With a OnePlus phone to get that little extra crank to eleven performance, you know, and and I figured with a ninety hertz display and a well tuned build of Oxygen OS on a six ninety, they might be able to come pretty close to say a Snapdragon seven thirty, and they are. If you look at benchmarks, they are. But you run the phone and it doesn't feel like a OnePlus phone to me.
1: Yeah, I agree. And actually, uh, I don't know
0: what it is. The Nord felt like a OnePlus phone to me.
1: Yeah. And I know you said you had a uh, good experience with the performance, but we ran into, uh, if you read our review, we ran into a lot of bugs. So yeah. uh, the first r- release of uh, software it shipped with, uh, and thanks for making me a beta tester with all this OnePlus. First <laughs> release had a bunch of uh, Wi-Fi problems. So certain Wi-Fi connections, don't know what the particulars were. It would just refuse to connect to them. Or if it did connect to them, it would refuse to see it. I did a-
0: have Wi-Fi issues too, but they weren't like dreadful. Like I, I didn't have to, like they, it would just fix itself basically. Oh, mine did not. If uh, if I connected to Wi-Fi, I just didn't have data. And uh,
1: secondarily, and this is an issue we had up until the day the review was published, and OnePlus tells us that they're they're working on a fix. Uh, Touchscreen sometimes will just not work. You wake the phone up and no touch input.
0: And that is not acceptable. That's not okay. I didn't experience that. The problem I had, which was actually a configuration problem, I restored the OnePlus Nord N10 5G from my OnePlus 8 you know, backup. Yeah. And um, you know the AT is the first phone with Oxygen, uh, like with Android 11 and Oxygen OS 11, and has an always-on display. Right? Somehow it inherited the always-on display settings in the transfer. Yep. And it made the Nord N10 5G backlight stay on all the time, <laughs> even though the screen went black. The backlight was on, and it was wasting battery. And it turns out that it was just a bug and a transfer over. It was supposed to like cancel out that always-on display setting from my, from my restore. Yeah. And it didn't. And so they, they basically fixed it for me. They sent me a little APK to install, and it changed the flag that was, you know, mal-set. And everything was back to normal. And I'm sure that they now have that in their bug tracker, and that will never happen again. But it's interesting that to me that's you know I've reviewed enough phones under embargo that have little weird things I don't count this as a problem like this this but it the sloppiness of them maybe not having tested that worries me a little bit you know
1: yeah and and I know it's a lot it's sort of inside baseball to talk about this stuff but the the instability in the OnePlus software I've been using over the last year has been worse than I think any other phone I've reviewed in the last 2 years so they they it seems like they're they're sort of losing track of or having difficulty developing software at the same pace that they were before. And you can see that's compounded by the issues they're having with delivering updates to prior devices. I know a lot of them, I think the uh, OnePlus 6 was stuck on the same security patch for like six months. And the uh, uh, Android 10 update was like repeatedly delayed and had a bunch of issues. They're kind of losing track of the older devices and losing their ability to keep a decent software update schedule or the commitment that they made, you know, these every two month updates, which isn't even really competitive anymore. So I'm, I'm not, and coupled yeah. with the fact that, uh, and I know this is inherently subjective, but I'm not a f- big fan of uh, their Oxygen OS 11 look. So I I, I think they're
0: kind of losing the thread. I mean, I'm not too worried about Oxygen 11. I honestly had no issues with the AT and Oxygen 11. I changed the colors to the blue, you know, the highlight color. Mm-hmm. To the blue from Oxygen OS 10, which, and everything's fine to me. Like it, yeah, it does feel a little more one UI, you know, like Samsung ish in some areas, but I still feel like, I still feel very good about Oxygen OS. And, and this is a non issue with the Nord N10 since it's running the old version anyway. Yeah, right? yeah thank, thankfully. And honestly, as I said in my review, the thing that saves this phone is Oxygen OS. If you take that away and you were to put like the Realme OS or the the Vivo OS or whatever, the Oppo Color OS on there, that phone would just feel like a BBK phone. Parts been special. In fact, I think it's inferior to many Oppo and Vivo phones in the same price range um, because of its design, like its frumpy industrial design. And so... Oxygen OxygenOS does save it, but it shouldn't have to. And the biggest thing we haven't talked about yet, well, we did about it last week on the show, is the alert slider. Like, how can you not ship a OnePlus phone with one without an alert slider? Yeah. It doesn't
1: feel like a OnePlus phone to me at all.
0: That's like a signature OnePlus thing, yeah. right? So that was the first sign that things were badly wrong. And, you know, we all had concerns and doubts about them being able to make a phone with a 600 series Snapdragon that would be Pardon the joke, but snappy. And well, it's not bad. It's not horrible, but it's not one plus. It doesn't have that. The Nord feels so freaking fast. I mean, yeah. You have to really put it side by side with an 8 or 8 to notice a difference, right?
1: Yeah, it's a fast phone.
0: And so this one, however, is like, no, it's fine, but I don't come to a one plus for fine, you know? I come to OnePlus 4, I want something special. And yet I was hoping that maybe they could still deliver something special with the 690. But I think that I cannot even believe or imagine what the Nord N100 is going to be like with the Snapdragon 460 at this point, even with a 90 hertz display, right? I'm
1: intensely curious to see because you you and I both know there's no way it's going to be able to maintain 90 hertz in any reasonable workflow with that chipset. I I just want to see what it's like. I didn't even know that chipset could run 90 hertz. I'm sure in certain edge cases with very static content, it might be able to. Well, but... remember
0: it's a 720p display though.
1: Oh, that's fair. So that's a good point. The resolution might be low enough because I was still thinking it was 1080. Yeah, then it's possible it I could. I mean,
0: this is what they told us. They could be wrong. We could be seeing a um, 1080p 90hz display identical to the Nord N105G, driven by a completely outclass Snapdragon <laughs> 460. That would be funny. Oof. Yeah, I am I- curious to see, but we'll. We'll have to see. There's there's no way to know. Battery life was very good though, and yeah, it was. I want to give some positives. I I thought the Oxygen OS experience is still superior. It still feels like a really nice uh, user experience. Um, again, this is Oxygen OS 10. I feel that the battery life was very solid. I feel like, you know. It's not in the vacuum, in the absolute, it's not a bad phone. But even compared to what BBK, like again, I, I will talk a little more about this Realme 7 5G right now because, you know, I unboxed it. You'll see my video. I'm reviewing it. So you expect a review in a few weeks. It, I didn't, there was no way I was going to hit the embargo. So I'm just going to take my time. But that phone is currently on sale for £229 UK because of, that's a Black Friday pricing for launch. And then it's going to switch to its normal price of 279 UK pound. And mm. I believe that's about 369 US dollars. Now, it has a MediaTek Dimensity 800 5G chip in there. And honestly, it doesn't feel slow. Uh, it has 120 hertz IPS panel. It has a 48 megapixel main sensor the rest of the sensors are otherwise identical to the OnePlus Nord N10 5G. So you've got an 8-megapixel ultrawide, and you have two 2-megapixel two sticker cameras, as I like to call them, because they might as well be <laughs> stickers because they're useless. Yeah. But the point is that we're looking at a very... And it's got a 5,000 hour battery and 30-watt fast charging. You see the similarities here? Yeah. So very similar. But the industrial design, the build, the quality of the materials, even though it's plastic, feels superior to the Nord. The performance feels identical to the Nord, and this is not Oxygen OS. And the camera so far, you know, it's not, it's not a Sony IMX586. It's a Samsung of some kind, the 48-megapixel sensor. I haven't taken photos in low light enough to really be able to tell you how good that camera is. But it can't be worse than the Nord N10 5G in low light. So True that. The bottom line is we're looking at a phone that clearly undercuts the Nord N10 5G. In the UK in terms of price, and is already superior in many other aspects, with me only spending a few days with it at this point. Like, it's the same company. So if you're gonna make a part spin special, which I've always thought Realme were were, no offense to them, but they always seem to be like part spin specials to me. You know, because you know, you got Daddy Oppo and Daddy one plus and Daddy Vivo up there, right? Yeah. And you know, Realme is the newer kid. So I I, I thought that you know, it seems to me like it should be the other way around. You know what I'm saying? That the Nord N10 5G should be a Realme phone and that the Realme 7 5G should be a a OnePlus phone, basically. And uh, 120 hertz display on an IPS panel is not something I necessarily get excited about because you get a lot of jittery when scrolling, but it's versus 90 hertz on the OnePlus. Again, for less money, you get on paper a better phone, right? Yeah. And that's weird to me. Like, also, I understand that these brands compete with one another. But this, not, this is not a Realme phone that was made for India. This is a Realme phone that was specifically made for the European market. So, again, that's part of the reason I requested the review in it. Because I'm like, this is going to compete dead on in those markets with the n 10 5G. You know? Yeah. Makes you question what OnePlus is doing. That mm-hmm. their own partner sub-brand is able to outcompete them. They have a parts... Bin they can pick from, and it seems they're picking the wrong things. Yeah. And in the Nord original, they didn't pick the wrong things. They picked all the right things. The only thing the Nord, I think, original, in my opinion, is I'm unhappy about is the crappy mono speaker, which, strangely, the Nord N10 5G has actually relatively decent stereo speakers. They're not great, but they're for the price, they're fine, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I thought they were good. And a headphone jack. And micro SD support. <laughs>
1: Well, the SD so, support is unusual for OnePlus phone, right? The first since
0: the OnePlus X. Exactly. Yeah, the, yeah and the OnePlus One, of course, had it as well. But, you know, oh, here's the other thing. That Realme 7 5G, before all of you start freaking out, because it was designed for the European market, has NFC, which is rare, as you know, on a BBK phone that is not a OnePlus phone. Like, there's a lot of Oppos that cost a lot more money than this Realme that don't have NFC, like the Reno 4. Interesting, huh? It's one word for it. So yeah, check out uh, Ryan's review of the OnePlus Nord N10 5G on Android Police, my review on Hot Hardware, which is a more technical review, and my review on Geekspin, which is more lifestyle review, also uh, my video unboxing of the N10 5G, and most importantly, read Ryan's OnePlus has jumped the shark story. Because, you know, look, I want to believe. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I want to give them a chance to correct course here, right? There is that opportunity. The AT, as I said in my review, was too expensive for what it delivered, in my opinion. It's a great phone. But again, you, you can't take it in a vacuum. Like yep. the N10 5G is an OK phone. It's a fine phone in a vacuum. If it was cheaper, if it had better updates, as you said, maybe a plus, a glass back, maybe put an alert slider on that. A few things they could have tweaked. They would just say, it, OK, it's fine. You know, it's uh, 100 bucks less. I get it. But it's not a hundred bucks less. Well, exactly. It's, I guess, 75 or whatever. It just doesn't feel like OnePlus for a phone for the first time. Right after they delivered a Nord that was exceptional. And after they delivered a flagship that I still think is exceptional, the 8 Pro. And the 8T comes out and it's kind of uncompetitively priced. It's getting its lunch eaten by Samsung with yeah. this FE, the fan. Yeah, the fan edition. The sound, yeah. I just don't understand like how... Of course, Samsung could come and disrupt in the OnePlus space. They were just waiting for the right time to do it. And guess what? They just did, you know? Yeah.
1: And I still can't believe it. The S20 FE came, like for me, I know that we had leaks coming up to it, but the the price really came out of nowhere and it took a while for it to sink in. And I was like, Samsung is out OnePlusing OnePlus. Exactly. That's
0: totally what I said when we talked about it on the podcast. I'm like, ha, <laughs> it's basically Samsung goes, hold my beer. I'll show you what to do here. And yeah, exactly. boom, they did it. And and again, in that context, like, again, the one, the AT is fine. I just don't understand why they launched it with only t- with that spec, 12 gigs of RAM, 250 gigs of storage. Yeah. Nobody needs that. Nobody. Not at that price point. And that $700 price point, 8 gigs is fine. Now, we have to say that the, the FE does only have 6 gigs, which I think is too low. Yeah, I would prefer to see eight. I bet
1: that six is probably fine, but I would have preferred to see eight
0: because it's a, it's paired with a Snapdragon eight sixty five. You know, you're kind of hoping that this is going to be, you know, like you want you don't buy this phone because you want to like if it was a Snapdragon seven sixty five, it'd be like six gigs is okay, I guess. But eight sixty five, you're like, okay, this is a game. It could be used for gaming and all that. And that's kind of why the only thing I can be upset about with Samsung here, and of course, the plastic back, which. I don't care so much about the plastic part, but the fact that it does feel a little cheap when you touch it, you know. Yeah, I mean to be fair, I think that, uh,
1: like with the Note 20, I think they can do plastic nicely. They didn't necessarily in the case of the S20 FE, and you're going to put it in a case, so it probably yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, you're
0: right. You're right. So yeah, so my, my big little happy phone of the week that made me smile and made me go like, oh, there is hope in the future was that Realme 7 5G because I'm like, look, there is this is what the OnePlus Nord N10 5G hardware should have been. That's that's it right there. Yeah. And yet it's the same parent company and they somehow messed that up. And so kudos to Realme to do a phone for Europe that's really affordable and feels nice, uh, at least on the hardware front. I'm still... Trying to figure out what Realme's build of Android 10 is really like. So far, honestly, I like that out of the box there was an app drawer. I like that out of the box there was Google Discover on the left side of the screen. So it's more definitely more customized. It's more like an Oppo Color OS. But I have to say it's it's a lot more stock than I was expecting. It's my first time ever with a Realme phone, so I didn't know what I was going to expect. But I was thinking more like along the lines of Oppo and Vivo, you know.
1: Yeah, and I've been noticing that trend with uh, the BBK sub brands. I don't know if it's trickling over from OnePlus or what,
0: but their software is getting less offensive, <laughs> right? Over time, it is. Um, honestly, yeah. like I when I review the Oppo Find X2 Pro, right, which I still think is a phenomenal phone. If that thing had wireless charging and worked on US five G, I would be rocking that as my main phone all day long. It is a cool phone so good and and you know essentially the, the the oneplus a pro is a detuned version of that it's the same display it's the same main camera same ultra wide just a slightly lesser non-periscope telephoto and of course we gain wireless charging which to me is essential um but you know it doesn't exist on the Find X2 pro but the reason i'm bringing it up is because color os whatever that version was 11 12 whatever when it came out with the Oppo Find X2 Pro, I felt was the first version of ColorOS where I was like, oh wow, this is refreshingly stock-ish, you know? Yeah, and to be fair, it is better, but it's still
1: like I didn't like using it. I was still it's still it's yeah. still
0: very you know Chinese phone,
1: but yeah, exactly. But it was so much better,
0: right? Yeah, and I feel that Realme is kind of the same thing. It's like this Realme 7 5G. I was expecting something pretty horrendous in terms of software, and so far I'm like, okay, this is fine. Like this is not. It's not OnePlus, it's not a moto, it's not a pixel, yeah, you know, but few phones are. And yeah. So I I'm if you're in the UK right now, you know, try it out. Like it just came out and at this Black Friday sale, it's a pretty good deal. So let's see, what else? Uh, we talked a lot about OnePlus. You <laughs> want to talk about Oppo since we're on the BBK train here? Um, their rolling phone concept. How what do you what do you make of that? Um, so
1: that's, I, I, I have to admit, I didn't, uh, uh, cover that in too much detail for our site and I didn't cover it in fact at all. And it's not the first time we've seen these uh, rolling phone demos, but I'm into it. I, I'm excited to see what it's like. I'm, I was a huge folding phone convert. I thought they were stupid tried one out i am now their number one proponent for our site i think they're absolutely the future and i i really love the sort of paradigm shift we're getting with these uh bigger and changing screen devices so i'm intensely curious to see what uh these rollables end up being like if or when any of them actually materialize so i can't wait to hear more but i i don't know if i have anything really insightful to say on the subject i haven't
0: tried one i haven't used one yeah no neither have i i just think it's cool i just brought it up i'll link to the store on android Police. It's it's interesting, and again, it's not the first. Um, what so what's the f- folding phone that, that got you that won you over, Ryan? So the
1: Z Flip, the original Z Flip, uh, because it was the first one I could actually afford. I couldn't afford the original Galaxy Fold, uh, and Samsung wouldn't send us one, and blah blah right, blah. Right, It was like two thousand dollars, but the Z Flip was fourteen hundred bucks. So it's like, oh well, I can give this a shot. It's stupid. I'll return it, whatever. And it, like within an hour of opening it up and using it, I was already like hooked. I didn't know precisely yet. What about it appealed to me? And it took me probably the better part of a week or two to really be able to put into words what the experience was like and how I valued it. But it, yeah. it changed the way I used a phone like, quite a bit, even though it's, you're, you're basically getting the same form factor you do on a normal phone, just in a smaller package. And then I tried the uh, Z Fold 2, and the Z Fold 2 was an absolute game changer. I wish Samsung would oh let me keep mine. It was so good. Yeah. What an amazing phone.
0: So I actually bought the Z... I'm in the same boat as you. I didn't get an original full, you know, uh, last year. So I decided to just wait it out. And then I got a Z Flip. I bought the Z Flip uh, when it came out. And uh, after uh, the Samsung Unpacked event, I was like, okay, I'm just going to buy one. With I wasn't intending on keeping it. And I didn't, but I just want to try it out. And I got it. I was just like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is freaking yeah. cool. Once you try it, you know. Like I knew there was going to be a 5G version very soon and that the full version two would come out. So I was like, I'm not, I don't want to hang on to that. And I have a return window, so I'll return it. But I got it and I was impressed. And I did a review on the YouTube channel and talked about it on the podcast. So then when the Z Flip 2 Uh, I should say Flip 5G came out, um, I was like, oh, see, I'm glad I didn't spend money on that one because, well, 5G doesn't matter really much, but it's nice to have a faster chip in 5G. And the matte glass. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay, cool. I didn't buy that one, obviously. But then when the Fold 2, Z Fold 2 was announced, I actually did the same thing. I bought one. And with the intent of returning it, and I did return it only because it was so expensive and I couldn't really justify keeping it. But for the two weeks I had it, man, that phone, you know, once you play with that phone, it's a game changer. That is the future. Like you get it. And it is kind of like that, you know, gift the mind blowing explosion thing. Cause it's like, it's not just the amount of tech that's packed in that thing, which is already astounding. And it's the, polish of this product, right? And what it lets you do. Exactly. It is so well put together. Like Samsung, you gotta I gotta give credit to Samsung because my favorite phones, one of my favorite top five phones of the year, you know, because we're getting that season soon. <laughs> but my one of my top fives is a Note 20 Ultra. And, and and a Z Fold 2 probably is in my top five as well. But the Note 20 Ultra is the first Samsung phone in at least five years where I felt like a Didn't want to put it in a drawer. Like I kept keeping it in my pocket and using it way past my review time. And I still have it. And I love it. And I just can't put it away. And part of it to me is the industrial design, the build, the attention to detail, the way the phone feels in my hand. There is something special about the Note 20 Ultra, which I never experienced on the Galaxy S20 Ultra. I don't know how to explain it. Color, the fact that it's squarish, I don't know. It's like, I love the camera. I think that has a lot to do with it. Like the main sensor on that is way better. Like it's better tuned than the main sensor on the S20 Ultra. And I think the, the telephoto is a big improvement of the S20 Ultra as well. And so those two things make it a better choice in my opinion, the S20 Ultra. And then it just looks better. It's that bronze color, the squarishness of it, the fact that if you want, there's a stylus. I never use it. But it just feels like the mother of all phones somehow. You know? Yeah. That's it. So, you know, the Z Fold 2 inherits a lot of these build quality and materials and premiumness that you also get on phones like the Oppo Find X2 Pro and you get on iPhones. You know, like that that something you can't really tell until you touch it really makes a phone special, and and it has that, the Z Fold 2, and and then on top of that, as you said, like the fact that it can be, it lets you do all this stuff that you couldn't do before. Yeah, right? or not just that you couldn't do before,
1: that you couldn't do without way more hardware. I was able to do, in like a little experiment, my whole job,
0: the whole job at our site for the day from that phone. Wow. Blew my mind. And you know, that's the thing that blew my mind, actually, about the Z Fold 2 the most, was that... It's a Snapdragon 865 plus with gobs of RAM and storage, but it somehow feels so polished and optimized, right? Samsung's been getting better at that. I
1: know that uh, earlier versions of One UI, you know, you you use them side by side with like what we were talking about earlier, Oxygen OS, never really felt quite as snappy. That gap's closing. Samsung's getting better at optimizing its software experience to really feel tangibly quicker.
0: Yeah. And that's what I'm... I never felt it as much as I felt it on the Z Fold 2. Even the Note 20 Ultra is good, but the Z Fold 2 is like, holy crap, what processor is in this? Like, and I know it's just marginally faster than the 865 normal, right? And it has to drive a massive screen at 120 hertz. Like, theoretically, it should be about on par with the Note 20 Ultra. But I just somehow, and this is not like a, objective i took benchmarks thing this is a subjective feel thing it just feels so snappy right yeah they're getting better at that i love that that's what i expect of a phone and i know you know david radak your boss would agree with me here that yes the telepathic speed and feel of the one plus eight series is is almost too much right like it's it's like you're almost on caffeine and it's like over over excited. yeah
1: everything's turned up to eleven.
0: I like it. Yeah. I, I like that. I feel that I go back to a Pixel after that and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's nice. But uh, where is that, uh, where's that turbo button?
1: Yeah, it makes everything else feel like it's got uh, training wheels on it or it's the Fisher Price edition.
0: And you know the phone that feels like that despite being a mid range phone that costs half the price of a OnePlus AT? The Nord. The freaking Nord. Yeah. The Nord is like the you want you want to feel like you're driving a race car and you want to spend half the price of a race car. That's your phone, basically. It is a snappy little unit. Damn, it's amazing. Before we transition to talking about Wow, which I think is a pretty important topic this week, I want to talk about the fact that Pixel, sorry, Google, just released a Pixel 4A barely blue. That's the name of the color. It's a barely blue colored Pixel 4A. Yeah. Uh, So you no longer have to settle for ugly black.
1: Yeah, well, at launch, all they had was black. But this is kind of a return to the usual Pixel styling. The 4A was unusual in that it was the first Pixel phone I can think of in a long time that was only offered in black. And uh, last year, they did the 3A in that, uh, you know, slightly purple-ish which was actually the name, Hugh. And then uh, the Pixel 3 came in there. I like purplish. It's great, isn't it?
0: Purplish was good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then there was that sort of, I can't remember the name. I always call it the flush tone pink, but the fleshy pink uh, Pixel 3. Uh, yeah. Last year they did do the uh, much more vibrant, uh, that sort of Halloween themed Pixel 4, which was kind of out of left field. They don't usually do colors quite so bright anymore. And I was into it and I was hoping we'd see more fun colors and, and yet... But so it was. It was unusual that the Pixel 4 a only came in black, and now we get it in blue. I had suspected uh, at launch that that was uh, partly due to either supply constraints, uh, supply, as re- yeah. yeah, as a result of COVID, or um, that they might have been trying to tighten up margins by only having one SKU so that uh, they could better compete with the iPhone SE because the SE had just la- landed. Everybody was super impressed with it. And it came in at four hundred dollars. So I'm sure Google's project managers said, "All right." This, this has to come in under $400. bucks. we got to hit 350 and we need to beat it. So that was when we got... Uh, I remember there were originally rumors that we would get a 64 gig and a 128 gig version, and then all that landed yeah. was the 128 gig version, so that at least on paper, Thank God. in one spec, it would be beating the iPhone SE. And uh, so I, my, I suspect that the original single colorway was partly to uh, ensure that they could keep the margins as low as possible. And I suspect, or hope, that uh, the reason they're offering more colors now is because it's selling so well.
0: Yeah. It's a hot a hit. Such a good phone. Yeah. Such a great phone. Honestly, you know, when I look at that versus like Nord N10 5G, like, yeah, you don't get 5G, but whatever. Yeah. Just forget it. This is the phone to get. Like that matters in the US. Right. And and if you want 5G, just get the 4A 5Gs, you know, spend a little more, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. um. So talk about Huawei. So this is actually a couple of topics that I was going to cover on last week's show, but last week's show, having um, my guest from MediaTek on for 20 minutes, you know, we just didn't get to it. And actually, I'm glad we waited because now we have more facts. We have more data. Yep. Um, two Huawei-related items. One, Huawei is selling the Honor brand to purely just basically to make money. They need the money because things have been a little rough. And then related to that, in a way, is Huawei... Uh, is now allowed by the US government to use Qualcomm chips with one important caveat that we'll get to right? Yes, yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Like to me the Honor sale, you know, I've as I said to you before the podcast, I feel like Honor in fact I was I'll be transparent with the audience. I was actually hired by Huawei as a consultant to do an analysis on Honor. Of years ago, we're talking about three, four years ago, when they were just starting out, around the same time as the Honor 8 or so, and you know they were like, you know, how how can we take the U.S. market by storm? And I basically said you need to do the two two things, and and I think U.S. Western market was kind of the thing, and and I said there's two things you need to do. One is Qualcomm chips, because just because you know the the carriers will be on board if you have Qualcomm chips, and B, uh, stock Android like Android 1 or do something like Moto or Google with a Pixel or OnePlus with Oxygen OS something that's very streamlined and straightforward not does not feel like the Chinese phone experience the Chinese phone experience yeah. right and you know granted Huawei's phones have gotten better at that but still you know now it's kind of regressing a bit because of they don't have Google mobile services anymore GMS is not allowed so That's what I told them, and they never did anything with it, and I think it was a lost opportunity, but, you know, I also got some feedback from, you know, like, this is Inside Baseball, but, you know, basically saying, look, the U.S. market in the West is such a small overall percentage of what we sell worldwide that you're basically asking us to make custom hardware and software. That's what you got to do. for. Tiny market that doesn't really bring us a lot of money. Yeah. And this is like you have to understand, put yourself in the perspective of three or four years ago, right? Yeah. Now I think it would make more sense. So to them, I think selling the honor brand now, first of all, it brings them cash. But secondly, now it can be it was sold to a bunch of Chinese investors. So maybe whoever takes it on now can make phones with GMS that have just branding and kind of take a new path. And maybe that's a good thing, right? Maybe it is. So, uh, until you, and we talked
1: about this a little bit before the show, I have to say, until you put it in those terms, I didn't really understand why Huawei was selling Honor because it didn't make sense to me that, uh, Huawei would try to just separate the brand if it was going to make a difference in inroads in the U.S. market or GMS. Like, no one would be fooled by that. It's just, you know, it's, it, just because it's under new ownership doesn't mean that the, uh, same concerns regarding whether they were founded or not, uh, regarding the Chinese government, uh, would apply. The, the government, the, Group that bought it is, after all, a government-backed consortium, right? Exactly, right. But uh, the fact it didn't occur to me that they would need money because you're right. I know that uh, we've been following our- their financials off and on, and they're they're not doing so hot. So within that context, it makes way more sense to me now.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I so third show we're talking about this phone. I have the Mate. Uh, 40 pro here and it's a fantastic phone i just finally on this little trip that i'm doing here in palm springs i finally gotten out in nature and taken some photos and it's 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 huawei grade camera level it's 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 you know like all the goodness but you can see they're cutting costs there's no ois on the main lens and i asked them why and they said well you know we the kirin 9000 is such a powerful isp that we can actually do pretty good what they call ais their ai based um Stabilization. It's just
1: EIS. Yeah. And
0: I'll have to be honest, I, I cannot fault them. Like it is rock solid. It feels like an OIS phone to me, yet it is not. Um, and that is something you can only commend. Um, but you can tell that they're saving money, right, on the hardware by using software. Same with the ultra wide. It is no longer 40 megapixel ultra wide, it is a 20 megapixel ultra wide. So they're no longer able to do pixel binning in low light. But you know, when I asked them about it, I said, "Well, you know, we our ISP is more powerful, and we can compensate a little bit in low light now. The fast lens is faster as well, but most importantly, we kept the AF, which I think is really nice. Very few phones have autofocus on the ultra wide, and I think that's a big deal to me. If you want to get close to something and still have that ultra wide feel, you can still get focus on the, the close up thing. But, but more importantly, they said, you know, we're we're offloading, like we're taking, I guess, some of the cost of having a, a better sensor off." and they didn't say it that way, but they implied it. And, and putting it on that crazy Karen 9000 that's so high performance, the ISP. And I was like, okay, that's fair. So that also fits in, I think, with what might be perceived as cost savings, which are really cost savings. You know, that that the company doesn't have the kind of ginormous budget that they had for the Mate 30 Pro, the P40 Pro, yeah. right? So interesting. And so what's your take on this Qualcomm stuff? And what's the caveat? So I, uh, you know, I'm really curious to see how this is going
1: to go, because as you said, uh, Qualcomm is now able to sell chips to Huawei again, which is a big deal. But importantly, they can't sell any with 5G. And that casts a big wrench into the plans, because most of their latest chipsets the uh, modems for them—they're all 5G modems. So I'm—I'm I'm curious if Huawei's even going to be able to use the uh, 865 or later chips, which are all going to be, to my knowledge—and I, I admit I'm a little ignorant on this subject—and exactly which modems can be paired with which phone or with which chipset. But uh, to my knowledge, the 865 has to use the X55
0: modem, right? But it's an external part. So it's possible that Qualcomm also makes an exception for Huawei and says you can use the X65 without the X55 modem. Yeah, exactly.
1: So that the, it's, it's possible that they'll be able to make a special modem just for Huawei, an X55 missing 5G... You know, in China, 5G is kind of important. We see all these 5G phones launching there. And to my understanding, they're doing a better job of rolling out meaningful 5G as opposed to the millimeter wave junk we're mostly putting up with here. They've got it, you know, a lot more standards, mid band, low band stuff. It's, it's, it's part of the landscape. And they were more aggressive to roll it out earlier than we were. So it, it throws a wrench in the works for them to be able to use it. Not that they use it domestically too much. I think they mostly stick with the Kirin stuff there. But even in other markets, if they want to, start making inroads in Europe or the U S where the Snapdragon chipsets are more popular. It, it throws a wrench into their plans, being able to sell phones. Like you're saying, when you were, uh, working with the honor brand, they, they need these Snapdragon chips to be able to sell in a lot of markets. It's just a fact of life. Yeah. So the fact that they have this limitation, no 5g is going to be an impediment.
0: Yeah, no, this is definitely a big, a big uh, wrench in the, in the spokes of the system here. I, I don't know how they can get over that. I mean, if for some reason, say, Qualcomm lets them use the 865 because what if Huawei uses their own external modem somehow, right? Like they have them, right? They have the Balong or whatever called, 5G modem. I wonder if the no 5G means the device cannot have 5G or you can't use chipsets that support 5G or, you know what I'm saying? Like that's the challenge, right? So I, I think, but I still think it's interesting because while this news is, you know, based on the... Our reality now today we now have a president-elect and a potential government coming in that are hopefully potentially gonna relax some of this Huawei madness like I don't expect the incoming government to relax the 5G networking base station level stuff, right? Yeah. That's not going to change. I think the national security issues are still there. Uh, For better or for worse, that's not what I want to get into right now because I think it's BS personally, but that's just me. But I think the terminal, the phones, right? The the, the consumer devices, that all the restrictions that Trump and his stupid regime have put on Um, Huawei in terms of laptops, chips, software like Google, right? GMS, that should all go away, I think, hopefully with the new regime. I'm sure it's not high on their priority list because they have to fix COVID and everything. But I feel like that should be higher-ish on their priority list on the technology front, right? Yeah, because it doesn't really make
1: sense for them to be limiting things in other markets. Like, what does the U.S. care if Huawei has access to Snapdragon chips to sell them in, like, Europe? Like, what does it matter? It doesn't affect us at all. But what does
0: it matter if they have access to GMS? Like, yeah, exactly. And if anything, giving them back access to GMS will potentially slow down their development of their own OS. Yeah, I, I doubt they will because they've learned their lesson now. They're probably going to be on the ready for weird future U.S. bands. Oh yeah, it sounds like. At it. the same time, they could be like, "Well, we, you know, we don't have to rush quite as much anymore," or something. You know, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think it's good news, and I, I overall you know i feel more positive especially now that we have another government coming you know yeah i am
1: yeah. i think huawei also has breathed a sigh of relief since the election but yeah. uh will we'll have to see how this 5g ban ends up uh uh operating in the short term because it'll be i'm i'm really curious to see how they work around it or if our understanding is flawed
0: in some way but it's just a strange situation hey i'll take a snapdragon 730g equipped $400 Huawei with Leica cameras on it. Yeah. I mean, screw it. With GMS, I'll do it. I'll take it. So, hey, one last thing I want to talk to you about is, and you wrote about this, is the whole um, the whole messaging stuff. Yeah. So, do you want to jump into that and maybe give yeah. us a quick primer?
1: I can dive in. So today, Google rolled out uh, worldwide support for its chat RCS standard in the messages app. And this is a big deal because the new chat system uh, that Google uses is based on uh, RCS messaging, the universal profile. Uh, The long and the short of it is that this is a new standard that's meant to replace SMS and allow people to send higher quality media. Uh, It lets them do more rich communication standards. So like you can do typing indicators. You can, uh, it's a poor parallel, but you can kind of think of it as like uh, iMessage for Android, but don't. Yeah. But it's it's, it's similar (laughs) to that. So the big impediment to the rollout of RCS is the fact that it's a network solution. So The ideal way that it would have been implemented would have been to have all of the carriers get on board. They would have all implemented uh, different RCS-compatible standards, and there was one standard that was settled on called the Universal Profile, and it was meant to be a single version. Everyone could implement this this same standard, plug it into their servers, and it would talk to everyone else's servers in a big networked system, sort of like a messaging-only internet, and allow every carrier and every customer on every carrier to be able to send messages using this new format to every other carrier and every other customer on every other carrier. And... Like every carrier-based initiative, of course, it didn't pan out. Carriers are greedy. They all wanted to do custom versions of the standard that didn't implement everything or that didn't connect to other carrier standards. Turned into a big problem, and Google decided, no, screw it. You guys are, uh, you're not handling this correctly we're just going to take this into our own hands so google via messages decided to roll out uh, jibe uh, they bought a company called jibe that implemented uh, a universal profile based standard and through jibe google was able to to uh, essentially connect customers to either their carrier network when it was compatible mm-hmm. or to google's network and so any customer who has a universal profile compatible carrier they can use Uh, RCS messaging through Android Messages, through Google Jive, and it'll work. Uh, Anyone who doesn't, Google takes over for that duty. And Google can give them the same functionality through the Messages app, and and that works. So as of today, everywhere in the world, this now works. There are a couple of exceptions, uh, Russia, China, Cuba. (laughs) Surprise, China. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But uh, everywhere it works. So now everyone on Android using Google Messages, whether it's through their carrier or whether it's separately, is finally able to use this messaging standard, and it's great. But it's still not quite universal. And uh, I I wrote about this earlier today. The big problem is that I see that's remaining now is now Apple, because iPhones don't support RCS messaging.
0: Right. And I really should. Like, I mean, this is ridiculous. Like, I understand, you know, they want people to buy iPhones, but like, the reality is half of the people out there don't have iPhones. So come on.
1: Yeah. And furthermore,
0: it's more than half. It's between uh, uh, 72 and 80% 80 of the market. In our market,
1: right? Like I'm saying, roughly. Yeah, in the U.S., it's somewhere around half. But, and uh, this is another point that I touch on in our coverage earlier today, the real issue with it is the fact that Google announced today, as, as part of the uh, major rollout celebrating it, that they're going to start doing end-to-end encryption in RCS. So it's it's secure. Um, it's only only we'll start rolling out in the next couple weeks, and presumably they'll expand it to more conversation types. For now, it's just in one-on-one conversations. But... Uh, the fact that they're doing that and the fact that Google or that, sorry, that Apple's iMessage falls back onto SMS for Android customers, which is insecure, when yeah. they could be using RCS and they could also be rolling out end to end encryption support, kind of flies in the face, in my opinion, with uh, Apple's claims that, oh, you know, we're all, we're all about user
0: privacy, apparently,
1: except when you didn't make any money off the other person.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I feel like this is progress, like, especially for the Android universe, and I've been very happy to have RCS access on devices and my Android phones. And, and you know, um, I applaud this move that it's spreading and that Google took the initiative for once, you know, um, didn't let the people in charge to do their thing because, you know, it just wasn't going to go anywhere. Carriers are never going to do anything. Yep. Carriers are anti-competitive, so they're not going to do anything. Yeah. Well, you know, when Apple does something, they just have to go along with it, right? So <laughs> they kind of had to go along with the whole I message thing, for better or for worse. So I think this is good, and end-to-end encryption is going to be necessary. So kudos to them for doing that. So yeah, so th- thanks for the primer and the heads up. I will link to your story, of course. Those of you who want to get more technical and want to find out more, you should check that out. Well, Ryan, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the Internet?
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, you can find me, obviously, at uh, Android Police. I work there. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter at at Ryan Hager, R-Y-N-E-H-A-G-E-R, because I spell my name funny.
0: (laughs) Yes, you should uh, follow Ryan. Uh, Good stuff on Android Police, good stuff on Twitter. And folks, you know where to find me on the Internet. I'm at Girl. that's T-N-K-G-R-L, on both Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, it's a good place to discuss the podcast. If you want to comment on the podcast or give your opinion or disagree or whatever it might be, please... Do it on Twitter. And Instagram is a place where you'll find pretty pictures of phones that I'm reviewing and pretty pictures taken with phones that I'm reviewing. So check that out as well. Same handle, at Tanker. I like the comic book character without the vowels, T N K G R L. There's also a couple of YouTube channels you should check out. There's youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast, which is uh, focused mostly on the phones and and devices I review uh, and I'll discuss on the podcast here, things like phones, headphones, earbuds, whatever. And then there is uh, youtube.com slash mobile more, which is kind of a second channel my producer and I recently started. And we're reviewing a whole bunch of kind of like IoT-ish stuff there, like, you know, Uh, smart uh, robot vacuums and, uh, you know, like connected air purifiers, stuff like that. So, you know, please subscribe to both channels, especially the new one, Mobile Tech More, since it's new and we need the subscribers. Check it out, participate, leave comments, all that good stuff. It's Think of it as complimentary visual content for this podcast. Also, there's the podcast itself, which if you're just happening to follow Ryan here and you kind of want to subscribe and stuff, it's mobiletechpodcast.com is the URL. There's an RSS feed there if you're old school. If you want to do it the easy way, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, pretty much everywhere you'll find good podcasts. If your podcast app lets you rate the show, please consider rating the show or reviewing the show in some way. That also helps a lot. And finally, there is a uh, donate link in the show notes. Uh, If you can donate to... To help me make this podcast continue happening weekly, I'd appreciate it. It's a PayPal link. Please donate something if you can. Another option is for you to support our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been our sponsor since the very beginning of the show and they have a special deal for you so you can help them by helping me or help me by helping them depending how you look at it by going to audibletrial.com mobiletech mobile tech that's audibletrial.com mobiletech mobile tech and you'll have an opportunity to sign up for Audible and get 30 day free trial with the option to keep a book at the end, and you can, uh, you know, leave or stay, whatever it will help the show, no matter what. So, consider that Audible is a fantastic platform for audiobooks. If you love reading, but maybe you can't read, maybe you're a delivery driver and you're driving around all day and you're tired of listening to hour long podcasts, you want something th- kind of big and thick to sink your teeth into, like a 12 hour epic Star Wars book or something check out Audible. That's what they're about. And I really like it for that. So I recommend you check it out and you help us out. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. I want to thank Audible for being a longtime sponsor of the show. And Ryan, I want to thank you for being on the show yet again. It is always
1: a pleasure to be on the show with you, Miriam.
0: Uh, Thank you. And we'll have you on again for sure. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.